have a sermon before me, and we'll see if we get to it. I just had some thoughts that have been in my heart <clears throat> as we're we are making our way through the Great Commission. And I've been pondering the fourth and final command where Jesus says regarding these disciples that we are to make, really that are made through the preaching of the gospel, really that are made through the power of the Spirit and the work of Christ, <clears throat> that we are to baptize, baptize those disciples and we are to teach those disciples to observe all that Jesus has commanded it's been heavy on my heart for the Christian church in recent months and years especially. It's been always a concern, but recent months and years especially, that there is sort of an anti-intellectualism, an anti-mind perspective that seems very present among those who profess to know faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a a strong resistance. There are many excuses that are being used by those who profess faith in Christ who claim to be Christians. And I feel almost as if the original lie in the garden has come to maturity in the minds of many Christians. What was the lie in the garden? Has God really said? And I have rarely interacted with so many ignorant Christians as I have in the last few years. There seems to be just a rapid decay in the ability to think and to think properly. And I think this is directly connected to what is said in Romans 1 about the decay of a society and how the final stage of the decay of a society is for God to hand that people over to the depravity of their own mind. And we need to be very careful as Christians in just such a society because we live in this world. We live in the midst of this world that is led by the prince of the power of the air. Our minds are not yet fully sanctified. And we can fall prey to the confusion of mind that is all around us. And I have, as I mentioned a moment ago, never witnessed such absolute... Madness is a good way to put it, even among many who claim to know Christ. So I want to talk about that just a little bit. We'll see if that takes us through the whole time or whether we'll finish up with that or not. It's just really heavy on my heart. I'm just running into people who claim to be Christians all over the place. And more than ever, they seem to be basing their theology and their conclusions and their lives upon their personal preferences and feelings rather than according to the word of God. And I think this is so dangerous. <clears throat> and there is such a, a prevalent anti-scripture, anti-intellectualism among believers that we're going to fall prey to just about anything. And so I want to spend a little bit of time talking about that. I don't know if that's going to be five minutes or our whole time together or not. We'll see. But let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven, you have created the human mind. And you have created the human mind to ponder you, to think upon you, to consider your truths, to be transformed by your reality. And yet one of the downfalls of humanity's collapsing into sin is the effect on the mind, those noetic mind effects of the fall. <clears throat> and we are living in a world that is rabid with the worst kind of corruption and wickedness and foolishness and evil that can be imagined. And we live in the middle of that. Not only do we live in the middle of that as Christians, we are often drinking from the well of the world's so-called news, the world's so-called entertainment, the world's philosophies, the world's ideologies, 
the world's twisted concepts. And I'm just sensing that a lot of believers are following right along with much of the world's thinking. So we need to be distinct, we need to be clear, we need to be precise, we need to be those whose knowledge, mind is renewed by the truth of the Word of God. We might by our lives, by our word, our speech, demonstrate to those around us that good and perfect will of God. No matter where society goes, no matter what direction the culture heads, no matter the prevalent talking points, we need to be biblical and unique and distinct. We need to be salt and light, not compromising with the world, but grounded strongly and heavily in your truth. And we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, literally, I have no idea where I'm headed, and I don't typically preach like this, so we'll see how this goes. Feel free to, uh, to, to jump in if you uh, feel led to do that. One of the passages I was thinking of was Romans 1.18 and following, where we see the decay of human society, the decay, the decay of a part of society, the decay of an individual laid out for us in these verses where increasingly God hands people over stage by stage to a worse and worse situation. And then finally we see in verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. Now, you have to realize how serious this state is because already the fallen mind is in darkness. Already the fallen, the fallen mind is following the prince of the power of the air. Whatever is happening here, this is worse. This is handing over the mind of man to absolute foolish corruption. And when you live in the middle of a society that is doing that, the allurement, the temptation is to even accidentally, inadvertently buy into some of that foolishness. So we know how to stand firm in the midst of the decay of our culture. You'll notice the result of being handed over to a depraved mind is the result of doing things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, being full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, Gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to them also, or to those who practice them. Now, clearly this is a description of the unbeliever who has been handed over to his or her depraved mind. And I think we're seeing a a collection of a large number of people whose minds have been handed over presently in our society. But I think there are and can be oftentimes hints of each of these problems that exist in the depraved mind that we see more and more among those who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As I recently heard John MacArthur say, we know the unbeliever hates the word of God, but we have to be very, very careful. Now listen to this. In your own flesh, believer, you hate the word of God. In your fallen flesh, you hate the word of God. And in my fallen flesh, I hate the word of God. In your fallen flesh, you are in defiance against the law of God. In my fallen flesh, I am in defiance against the law of God. And when you live in the midst of a society that is just running wild and rampant, there seem to be very little restraints to hold you back other than the clear restraints of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the fellowship of the saints, the preaching of the Word, prayer, and so on. So we must hold fast to the wisdom and the truth of God. We must be faithful to the Scriptures. The Bible must dictate and determine for us 
our understanding, our reality, our perspective of God and his work, his perfections, his promises, his reality. Our, our full mind must be shaped and formulated by the word of God through the spirit and not by the word. And we must fight this battle. This is an intense problem. This is a problem that, again, can befall any culture, any portion of any culture, any group, any individual, such that they become those individuals that are described for us by Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4 who want to have their ears tickled, right? Preach the word in season and out of season, Timothy. Reprove, rebuke with great instruction, Why? The time is going to come when they are going to want to have their ears tickled. Who are those people? The lost? The depraved of mind? No, these are those who are in churches who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are going to want to have their ears tickled. And it is actually common, even at this church, when I will preach a sermon to hear people pass evaluation as to how directly profitable something appears to be in their life. They, some people just don't seem to take seriously the admonition of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and all of it is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. It is all beneficial. And I've got to admit, I get seriously frustrated with professed Christians who speak in ways and act in ways so as to hinder or limit the proclamation of the Word of God. That frustrates me to no end. I realize, for example, and I'm not speaking about anybody here, but I realize, for example, I preach comparatively for a pretty long period of time, comparatively. Maybe probably more in line with where Paul Washer's at, where his sermons lie, although he sometimes preaches far longer than I do. I don't know if, if Christians realize that when they say things like, that was a long sermon, and they mean that critically, how dangerous a statement that is how profoundly dishonoring such a statement is to the Word of God. I'm not talking about anything that's been said to me recently. I'm not even thinking about that. I'm talking about the state of the church. May God banish from the minds of Christians that phrase, that was a a long sermon. Few sermons. I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon. The longest sermon I've ever heard is probably over an hour and a half preached by Paul Washer. And I really wonder about the wisdom of a professed Christian who would say of any sermon that is preaching the Word of God in a critical way, that's a long sermon. What are we saying when we say that? Believers go to movies all the time that are longer than an hour and a half. How often do they walk out of the movie and say, now that was a long movie? Believers go to sporting events all the time. How often do they come out of the sporting event that lasts over an hour and a half and say, now that was a a long game. And sometimes there are long games, but typically we tend to feel almost like we're rewarded if we get a longer game. Christians will go and hang out at a restaurant and talk with their friends almost without thought for an hour and a half and they won't say the words, wow, we really, we've been here too long. I'm not saying that we don't ever say things like that, but in general, we tend to appreciate a length of time with friends or a piece of entertainment or a time of relaxation. We tend not to say that. And yet we say it about the scriptures. That is problematic. And I'm not speaking to anyone here, but I would encourage this in other people I wish I could say to people, look, if you think it's a long sermon, you keep that to yourself. Because what you're doing 
is what? What are they doing? They're criticizing and undermining and discouraging a fellow believer from their hunger of the Word of God. Why have we become like this in the modern day church? There's a similar problem that often arises when there is any doctrinal content that comes from the Word of God which that particular person does not directly see as being applicable to themselves or their loved ones or their kids. And they just sort of turn it off and they act somewhat like this is unhelpful, unnecessary, disinteresting. People leave churches all the time that are faithful in their proclamation of the Word of God, but which teach the full counsel of God, which means you're going to get all of it over time, which means there's going to be a variety of subjects covered over a period of time and a variety of passages covered all the time. And, and yet there are so many Christians that unless you're teaching something that they immediately perceive as being directly applicable or interesting or exciting to them, they have a very hard time being engaged with the Word of God. Yes? Yeah. What a lot of preachers do because they preach topically is they give a very wrong and false impression as to the content of the Bible. A lot of preachers realize that certain doctrines are repeated over and over again, and so the way they manage that is to not repeat those doctrines over and over again by visiting frequently lesser doctrines. And so the end result is that the great doctrines of Scripture, which the Bible majors on constantly, are relegated to the same amount of uh, in, uh, attention and time as you might have lesser, more unimportant and very practical doctrines. And it gives the impression to the listeners that if a preacher were to spend a great deal of time uh, on a particular subject matter, that they're somehow riding a hobby horse. Now, preachers can ride hobby horses. But if you're going through the, book of a, the books, uh, books of the Bible and you're preaching them verse by verse by verse, you're going to discover really quickly what's important to God. And here's something that a lot of people do not realize and do not seem to think of. God is not interested in constantly giving you new stuff. He wants us to know the important stuff, the deep stuff, the major stuff. He wants us to know that truth better than a brain surgeon knows the brain. He's not God is not interested in mildly surface level informing us about these great truths. We are disciples. We are students. We are pupils. We are in school. And God wants us to go deep. In fact, the author of Hebrews criticizes Christians who are still at the infant level in their Christian faith. And he says, by now you should be teachers. Listen, this is what the Bible says. Christian, you right now in your life, whether you're a pastor or a Christian, if you have been a believer for any significant period of time, you should be able to explain rightly all of the great doctrines of the Bible. And if you can't, you've got a lot of work you have to do. By now you should be teachers. That doesn't mean we're all called to be pastors. It doesn't mean we're all called to be teachers. It means we're all called to excellence. And a lot of Christians also, they just disconnect doctrine and theology with life. If they don't see how it helps them fix their tension in the marriage or help settle their balance in their checkbook or whatever it might be or enjoy their time at work more, um, they, they don't get what it's all about. Christians don't seem to get that to know God, to love God, is what it's all about. 
we are called to know him, to love him, to serve him, and to worship him. And you cannot love him, serve him, and worship him without knowing him. This morning I mentioned a couple of times, you've heard it here, but I mentioned a couple of times, I apologize that some of you may have never heard these truths of, say, the covenants in relationship to baptism. Now, I'm not talking about other good preachers you may listen to now or what you may have heard here in this church, but how many of you grew up hearing these truths preached from the pulpit? Because preachers have taken it upon themselves to edit God in reaction to the people wanting their ears tickled. I heard someone saying recently that someone was listening to a theologian preach, and that theologian demonstrated from the Word of God the truth that was being proclaimed, and the reaction was, well, that's just the nitpickiness of the theologian. Do not listen to those kind of lies. Those are straight from Satan and straight from the flesh. If, if a preacher, a theologian, a teacher can stand up and demonstrate something to you from the Word of God, it is necessary for your understanding. It is necessary for your life. And if the preacher or theologian is not being more nitpicky than the Word of God what you're doing is you're actually criticizing who? God. Right? And we live in a culture today, a society today, where, where Christians seem no longer constrained by what the Word of God says. I remember teaching one time on the, the structure of uh, church governance how to lead and, and, and govern a church. And we talked about elders and deacons. This is a while ago. And a gentleman came up to me and said, well, why do we have to do it that way? Listen, if that's your mentality, I, I don't, I'm not, again, I'm, I'm speaking about out there, okay? So I'm speaking kind of rhetorically, okay? If that's your mentality, I don't know what to say. If you don't feel constrained or compelled by the word of God, then there's a, a deep, deep, problem. There is something that is very, very uh, critical in the Christian life, and that is something called the regulative principle. And the regulative principle says, what I do, what I think, what I believe, my priorities in life, what I think about God and His truth is entirely governed by the Bible. The Bible regulates my thinking. Um, I interacted with an individual recently who said, well, I think maybe the, the reason why Paul forbade women from being pastors is because in that day and age, women were not as well educated. To which I responded to the individual, but that's not what the Bible says, is it? <laughs> what, what did that person do? They made up a theology based on whatever they think. They did not base it upon what Scripture says. And I took that individual to the Word of God and I said, Look, the Bible says why. And it has nothing to do with education level. It has to do with priority of creation. The man was created first, and it has to do with the woman being deceived and not the man. That's what the Bible says. I said to the person, you may not like it. That's what the Bible says. And we're living in that day and age now where Christians are, are literally rejecting truth because they don't like it. And I'm not suggesting this has not been a problem throughout society, but it is rampant today. It is dominating our churches, the preaching, what's heard on the airwaves and the internet. And uh, people just don't care about the truth. And I am hearing from Christians more and more 
excuses that block themselves and others from hearing the truth of the Word of God. Can uh, we get some suggestions of things that you hear or we hear commonly that discourage people from studying the Word of God? What are some things that you've heard? Because there's a lot of them, but they're pretty common. And I would encourage you, by the way, to be a person who thinks about these kinds of things, to be a person who ponders life and reality and and spends time in your own private time, not only in the Word of God, but who actively ponders what happens, what's happening in the world, what are people thinking, what are people saying, what are they doing, how is that wrong, how is that right, what does the Bible say about it. In other words, make your mind very, very active in regard to the reality of God's universe. And think very carefully in your own mind. Spend time pondering the truths of the Word of God. So, so what are some, in, some of the common uh, excuses that people will use? Well, um, one of them is, um, and these are just random. Well, I'm not a reader. Fine. Go get a CD. Go get an MP3. Go learn to read. Practice reading. Whatever. Got dyslexia. Okay. I understand. It can be a hindrance. Find other ways to get the truth in your head. Right? I mean, we just saw... And what about just laziness? We saw the Ethiopian eunuch who traveled for weeks from Ethiopia up to Jerusalem to worship God and go back again. And sometimes Sunday morning rolls around and I'm like, oh, I'm just tired. Sometimes avoidance of truth is just avoiding it. Now, if you're really sick or hurting or contagious, that's one thing. But I I think today, by and large... People are disinterested in full exposure to the truth of the Word of God. And we we see here in 2 Timothy 3 again, uh, excuse me, 4, Paul is uh, instructing Timothy to preach the Word in season, out of season. He says, um, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That is in any society, but I think it's got to get worse toward the end of the world, Right? If you're living in a world where the societies of the world have all been handed over to the depravity of their own mind, will that not be the formula, the seedbed for Christians not enduring or tolerating sound doctrine? Right? You ever heard Christians not inquisitively, but skeptically say, why do I need to know that? You ever heard that before? By the way, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which says all Scripture is inspired by God, it's all profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness, will answer most of those objections. Why do I need to learn that? It's very, very different from, can you help me understand how to apply this to my life? Can you help me understand the importance of this particular doctrine? It's very different from the skepticism that we often hear. And I I am seeing and hearing more and more of that, where there is this wide divide and detachment between those who are professing to be believers, and many of them may be false converts, but a wide divide between those who are professing to be believers and their willingness to be trained by, taught, shaped by the Word of God, rightly understood in context. This is absolutely critical. There's always been heretics. There's always been false doctrine. Much of the New Testament deals with this, but this now seems to be ramping up on an exponential level. What are some of the other excuses that people will put forward that will be anti-mind, anti-intellectual? Have you thought about that or noticed that in your lifetime? Yes, Chris. Yeah, yeah. And there's various ways of saying that. Right? Right. Yeah. And there there are varieties of ways of people suggesting exactly what 
you have just said. I don't think God really is that concerned with me getting too detailed with my understanding of the, the Word of God. I, I, you know, and besides, you know, uh, doctrine divides and knowledge puffs up. So I don't want to be some arrogant, divisive Christian. And I'm just content in the simplicity of my own faith. That's of the devil. God never told you that in his word. God, listen to this, honors the simplicity of an infant in the faith. But he says to all Christians, you grow up. People might think that they're happy with their simplicity of faith. Guess what? God's not. God's not content with that. Not because God is unreasonable, but think about this. It's because God loves us. And to know more of God is to grow in every category of joy and satisfaction in the Christian life. To find all joy and peace and satisfaction and contentment and purpose in Him is the greatest reward for the believer. And what we're saying ultimately when we don't want to pursue God with all the fullness of our being is God isn't worth knowing that well. There's no value in it. Isn't that what we're saying? Isn't that at the heart of almost every excuse that's been kind of shared? And if you have another excuse that you hear commonly is, I don't need to know that truth. I don't need to know God's will that well. I don't need to know God that well. There's no purpose in it. There's no value in it. There's no benefit in it. There's no real constraint to align my mind and my thinking and my life with what the Word of God actually says. Now, people aren't usually that explicit, but that's at the heart of what they're doing. And the heart of what people are doing when they do that is we are experts at rationalizing what we do to make it sound good. Like Chris just pointed out, that claim of I'm content with my simple faith they, that, that's, that's couched in such a way to make it sound like it's a, it's a good and virtuous thing. It is not a good and virtuous thing to make excuses for avoiding knowing the depth and riches of the Word of God. It's just, it's just not. Any other excuses that maybe you've heard uh, over the years? And they tend to take different forms, yes. <clears throat> yes, yes. In fact, it's interesting... You mentioned that. Uh, John MacArthur has uh, a term for that. He calls it the hermeneutics of humility. And um, it really, this really comes in two forms. There's the hermeneutics of humility, and I think the hermeneutics of criticism. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Hermeneutics means what? The interpretation of the Bible. Okay? Now, some Christians will couch it in a virtuous tone like Chris just brought up, like, you know, well, you know, we can't really know what the Bible actually says. Um, you know, it's changed so much over the years, and there's so many different translations. Who's to say what God really means or what God is really communicating? Therefore, we can go back to the one that Chris mentioned. I'm going to stick with my simple faith and not go deep. There's also a hermeneutics of same form but of criticism where the person is really being critical and saying there's no point in studying the Bible because there's all these translations and there's no agreement. Listen. The infinite mind of the one true and living God has spoken in his word so as to be clear to his people. <clears throat> so that the, when the Word of God is studied with prayer and carefulness and devotion and diligence and love and submission, the end result is going to be, as long as there's no corrupt influence that's messing up that thinking, is going to be doctrine that is generally in alignment with other sound doctrine of other believers. I do not find, except for those who tend to be a little bit cr critical of the Word of God or 
worldly in their thinking or man-centered in their thinking, I do not find among those who are really humble in their God-centered thinking who diverge widely on essential doctrines. As a matter of fact, that was part of the reason I made a big deal this morning is that's actually a point of unusual disagreement. Because with most of the Dutch Reformed people and the conservative Presbyterian people, I agree with 98% of what they believe. So the concept that there's just this, there's this wide divergence of uh, what the Bible teaches and you can't really nail it all down because the Bible's been changed over the years. There's all these translations. Who's to say you're right? Who's to say he's right? Who's to say she's right? And I just want to say, let's go to the Bible and look at what it says. God says what he means. He means what he says. And the fact is, throughout much of church history, all major doctrine has tended to have a unilateral interpretation by those who are faithful to the word of God. You don't find all this random interpretation floating around. <clears throat> and you can tell when you're reading a commentator whether this person really honors Christ really loves God, is really humble and submissive to the Word of God, or whether they're a critic standing over the Scriptures and evaluating it to whether they approve of it or not. And when you find that man of God who is preaching or writing sound theology, you typically do not find a wide divergence of interpretation. Some areas, yes. Okay? Eschatology, baptism, I think it's pretty clear, but... Um, there's just not, the Bible is not a wax nose. If you're honest and, and have a verb as a verb and a pronoun as a pronoun and a prepositional phrase as a prepositional phrase, pay attention to the context and do your cross-referencing, most believers are going to get pretty close to the truth if they are really diligent students of the Word of God. What I suspect is, in most cases where we have this wide divergence of disagreement, is yes, there can be traditions, there can be human preferences. I think a lot of times there's just out-and-out biblical ignorance. People who talk about studying the Bible all the time, I don't think they actually do. I, I am fairly convinced that a vast majority of professing Christians spend very, 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 very little time studying the Bible, if at all. And if you are a student of the Word of God, you can pick up on that really quickly it's pretty obvious whether people study the scriptures or not. For example, the word saints is a very common translation of the Greek word hagios in the New Testament. It is the most common word for Christian in the New Testament in almost all English translations. King James, New King James, uh, ESV, New American Standard, and so on. And so if I mention the word saints, and all the deacons of the church, like happened many years ago, came up and surrounded me and said, what's this thing about saints? What are you talking about? What has that just told me? These men are not reading their Bibles. I instantly knew that. Because you can't be a student of the Bible and not know that you're going to know that term's going to pop up a lot. So, you see, sometimes people, whether they realize it or not, they reveal, they make plain up front, they're not students of the Word of God. And so I do have my suspicions. And a lot of times people just lock on to their preferred <clears throat> conviction about something, and they're not willing to put it to the test. The test of Scripture. Like the Apostle Paul, when he came preaching at the Berean Synagogue, they were honored as an honorable people because they did what to, to what Paul taught them? Right. They, they evaluated, tested everything that Paul said against the word of God to see if it's true. Um, many, many years ago at our church back in Texas, I, I did my, my sermon that you've heard me do before where I describe and define the nature and sources of temptation uh, in my defense of the impeccability of Christ. And the elders came up to me afterward and they said, we're not sure about that. Let us go to scripture and we'll come back. And they came back a week later and they said, you're right. Because they tested it according to the word of God. I appreciate it. 
because I realized that, that what I was sharing was something that is common in church history, but not often taught as it should be. So, dear beloved, we need to be like David. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation, what? All the day. It is to me sweeter than honey. It's more valuable than gold. And we are a blessed generation. How many, does anybody here have less than three Bibles in their house? <laughs> Most of us have, I don't even know how many I have. Um, in fact, if you counted the digital library that I have, it's, it's, it's almost embarrassing. There, there's an abundance of riches. I mean, how much truth is accessible to us? We have a book card out here with good books sitting right on it. Right? Are we reading the Bible? Are we studying the Bible? Are we reading good theology? Are we reading sound doctrine? Um, a friend of mine from seminary, he was talking to me about the challenge of preaching at his church in the Boston area. He said, 70% of my congregation has a doctorate. And he says they are reading theology all the time and discussing it constantly amongst themselves. And what I've discovered is that kind of thing tends to, to breed itself within the church. So that if we're kind of not doing it, nobody else is going to do it. If we're doing it, people are going to catch on. And this is an encouragement that I have. We are really, all of us, responsible for the effect and impact that we're having on the body of Christ so much so, it's as if the whole weight is upon us individually. Think about it this way. You're the standard that we should look to. As the guy, the lady, who is the searching out, the one who searches out the word of God. Right? And I want to hold this out to us. Because I know we're going to all stand before the Lord Jesus Christ one day and give an account for our lives. And I think probably every believer will realize in that moment, I didn't pursue the Lord as I should have with the might and strength that was available to me. And so, myself included, I, I want to exhort us to, to really be a church who studies the Word of God. I'm not saying you don't, but I mean really studies it and really reads the good theology book where the, where the husband is reading to the wife and the kids and the grandkids, where, where we, we have books that we're going through and sermons we're listening to. and <clears throat> Not to show off or to be eggheads or to impress each other <clears throat> but because we're just so delighted with the word of God and more importantly we're delighted with the God whose word it is that we're hungry and we can't get enough of God I, I've noticed weird patterns for example There's different reasons, but what's the typical seating pattern of seminary students in church or in class? Where do they sit? Up front as close as possible. And I'm not saying it's sinful if you're sitting in the back, you're caring for a child, but I'm just saying sometimes there's little patterns that, that we're not always aware of. Um, you will learn more sitting up front, more than likely. Um, unless there's an immediate need to leave for the restroom readily, which happens sometimes, you're going you're gonna to learn more, you're going to be distracted less. In other words, be a student that, that wants as much of the Word of God as possible. Take notes. Open your Bibles. This is why recently I'm like, open the Bible. Even though I've got notes and Scripture references, open the Bible. Look at, and, and, and I'm trying to take more time where we'll go and spend a little bit of time in a passage. Turn there, look at the page, look at what the words say, look at the words in context. You will learn more. And, and but, oh, here's another. That's not my learning style. That is of the devil. 
they've done tests now and they've realized nobody learns really better by another way. You know, somebody, in fact, a lot of times people say, well, I'm a visual learner. And they'll test those people and say, well, that's not actually your strong point. <laughs> so don't, don't get into the, I'm a visual learner, I'm an audible learner. Get it all. Read it. Listen to it. Write it down. Memorize it. Do everything you can do. <clears throat> when you're reading the scriptures, unless I'm moving too fast where you can't, open that word. Look at it on the page. Read it in black and white. It will get in your brain better than it does. <clears throat> I've noticed that, and I'm totally rambling here, but we'll wrap it up in a minute. I've noticed in churches that uh, where, where we put, or they put all of the scripture verses up on the screen, guess what happens? People stop bringing their Bibles to church. <clears throat> I actually used to sell audiovisual, and I would tell pastors that. I said, if you start putting all your Bible verses up there, they're going to stop bringing their Bibles. Right? <clears throat> and, and something else, too. We want to be witnesses to one another, not only by our attentiveness, but by, you know, having the Bible open before us, um, turning the pages, there's something contagious about when you see other believers actually doing this in the congregation. There's a reason why when you see the camera panning across the congregation in John MacArthur's church, everybody's got their Bible open. Almost everybody's got a notebook and a pen. Because we learn better this way and we pick up on this. Believe me, you start showing up to a church and you show up Sunday after Sunday and everybody in your row has got a pen and a, a notebook, has got their Bible open, what's going to happen to you? You're going to feel what? You're going to feel like, well, I'm obviously not doing something right here, right? And so it's going to affect you. So think about this too. We greatly affect each other in our pursuit of the Word of God. I think I'm speaking to the choir here. I, I know that's why you're, you guys are here. But, but think about how, how saying, hey, you know, I'm reading in this book by Jonathan Edwards. And the Lord really, really encouraged me as this point, or I've been reading in, in Isaiah and um, what God's word says here and so on, when we do that, it becomes infectious. Yes, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, one of the constraints, though, as a pastor is you can't always lay those requirements on people, but you can encourage it. <clears throat> so I would encourage this greatly. I would encourage the deliberate memorization of Scripture, the deliberate reading and studying of Scripture, the deliberate reading of theology, intentionally learning theological terms, not as an end in itself, but in order to know God better, in order to love God better, we have an infectious impact on other believers. <clears throat> I've noticed before that there are ups and up and down seasons in a church that um, I don't mean this to be a guilt trip but if, if somebody, like I'm not saying this about you guys, but if somebody like has been a real hub and center of theological conversation at the church and then they decide no longer to participate in that guess what happens? Everybody backs off. If, several, if more and more people show up late, more and more people show up late. More and more people show up in time, more and more people show up in time. It is infectious, both positive and negative in churches. By our conduct, our behavior, our doctrine, our prayers, our studies of the Word of God, we all are influencing. Think about this. Live as if the full weight of the example for your congregation is you. 
Is that an excessive standard? I, I think we should be thinking as Christians as, <clears throat> what if everybody did what I did? And I think probably there's not a person here who wouldn't immediately say, I can do even better, you know. Of course, when you're in seminary, it's taken up 100% of your time. <clears throat> but even then, though, there's the danger, both in preaching and seminary, where you end up being merely academic in your study, and, it, and you detach yourself from your devotion to the Lord. Don't do any of this without full passion for Christ. I'll just take another uh, 10 minutes of my rambling. I don't know how helpful this is. I actually, when I looked out tonight, saw kind of the choir and I wanted to encourage the people who I knew would most agree, we need to infect the church in a righteous way. Encouraging, maybe finding a, a guy or something. Hey, you want to go through a theology book with me? Uh, do you want to read through this? Do you want to do, you want to do that? And, 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 and holding folks lovingly accountable because the allurement and the temptation of our day and age is to back away from full devotion to Christ. That, that is the allurement of our day. We are, yes. <clears throat> yeah. That's really good. Considering what uh, Proverbs 1, what was that again? One. Yeah. So it actually says there, how long are you going to love, or love being simple-minded? Right, Chris? Think about what you said. I just have a simple faith. God says, how long are you going to love being simple-minded? Quit it. <laughs> Grow up <laughs> in all aspects. That's a love the book of Proverbs, the book of, the book of wisdom. <clears throat> and by the way, this is another way you can tell people aren't reading their Bibles is when you can see that they are not feeling constrained by things that you know are clearly in the Bible. Either they're in deliberate rebellion, or they just don't know what the Word of God teaches. So, yeah, yeah. How long can you... <clears throat> yes. Yeah, we... That is, we've, remember we've talked about that before where there's, kind of, there's this kind of thought is if I keep myself ignorant in this area, God won't hold me accountable. Of course he will. Now he will also hold you accountable for avoiding it. Right? So he'll hold you accountable for not knowing it because you could have known it and he'll hold you accountable for avoiding it. And, and I actually think, I, I've noticed and in, in Kimberly and I have talked about this Oftentimes when I'm preaching a sermon or a series that I know would be helpful to something somebody is struggling with, guess where they are on those times? They're not there. They're not there. <clears throat> I don't ever write a sermon for someone. We always, I always write it according to what the text says, but they're, they're, I could almost like keep a chart and, and guess who wouldn't be there on the day I'm preaching on something. Now, I don't think it's always because they know it. Sometimes they do know it, but who knows it? Somebody else knows it. Satan knows it, which means he has their ear. Because he can move in their lives to... And I'm not talking about when someone gets sick or they're contagious or there's an accident or something like that. <clears throat> I was just told by Russ this morning, I mean, not Russ, by Ron this morning, Russ has been out with COVID. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's not... It's not like avoiding something. But the point is, just, just, I've, just, I've even learned that in my own life. Like, what would I have learned if I had not done this and devoted myself to the Word of God instead? What am I missing uh, because of this? So, um, I'll take maybe f six more minutes, if it's okay with you guys. I said ten about four minutes ago, so... <clears throat> um, I apologize, this is not actually... It's not because I don't have anything to say. I actually do have a sermon written out here, so we'll, we'll, we'll cover that next week. It's on the unity of the body of Christ in Ephesians 2, verses 11 and following. Um, <clears throat> so, so I want to encourage us who are here to encourage the rest of the body of Christ that is here in a very loving and gentle way. If you, if 
you hear statements that um, I had one guy say to me, well, if you keep preaching your doctrinal view, nobody's going to stay at the church. Okay, show me where I'm wrong. Like, why is that an influential statement on what I preach? I don't understand that. What are, what are people thinking? And what he's basically saying is, unless you ear-tickle what people want to hear about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to retain. <clears throat> and, and this has been an issue. I had someone uh, tell me once before they left the church, as I was preaching through one of the Gospels and had been doing so, so for years, they said to me, why, don't, why aren't you preaching Christ about Jesus? I was like, Do you, have you been there Sunday mornings? You have been. What am I preaching through? You see. And so, a lot of times, when we don't have ears to hear, we don't hear what's actually being said. Uh, Kimberly remembers many years ago, I preached a sermon on uh, the, the worship, and I mentioned how music was a glorious vehicle for expressing our praise to God but that you could use music and not worship God. Your mind and heart could be detached from worship. And I knew a certain individual was going to be there who was a music teacher and loves music, and so I intentionally inserted into my sermon seven deliberate statements praising the gift of music that God has given to the people of God so that we might express our praise. Do you know what this person said to me right after the church service? Why do you hate music? People will hear what they want to hear and will interpret what they want to interpret when they are bent on hearing and interpreting what they want to hear. Right? Uh, another common way, by the way, is to vilify the pastor or the congregation. In some way. If you can convince in your mind that the pastor or the congregation is problematic when the truth is being taught, then you can convince yourself, I don't need to listen to that. Right? Pastor's a jerk, so I don't need to listen to that. Pastor's full of pride. I don't need to listen to that. You hear all that, that all the time on the internet. Oh, you're just prideful. You're just full of pride. You know, so... We're done, you know. And it just becomes an excuse. By the way, there's an interesting little dilemma that the preacher faces with his own congregation. And Jesus said it. He said, a prophet is not without honor except where? In his own hometown. It's great to listen to MacArthur and Steve Lawson and all of this stuff, but that's why we talk about what they preach so much. Because the tendency is, to like that and not to hear what we're studying and to repeat that to one another. So just be cautioned about that. I'm not saying that you with you and me or anything like that. But the tendency is to repeat truths we've read and heard elsewhere and not to converse and discuss the things that we hear locally. This is a universal problem that has plagued every church. Do you know where the largest group of people who don't like MacArthur are? Grace Community Church, <laughs> because that's what happens, right? Um, it is the, the familiarity of the individual causes us almost inadvertently to downgrade. I'm not saying you guys are doing this. Okay? I'm just talking about a common problem. You're so prideful. Yeah, I, it's, it must be pride. I'm trying to whip up. So anyway, I know I'm kind of rambling, but I've just been sort of processing this and sort of preparing my mind for preaching next week on when Jesus says, I want you to teach the disciples to observe all that I commanded you. And so I've just been sort of, not just studying the scriptures, but just pondering what are the obstacles that we're facing today? What are the excuses that people are giving that are hindering them and hindering others from really growing in all the fullness of the Lord. None of us is going to do it perfectly, this side of glory. None of us is going to grow to the degree that we could, but we should still run the race to win, right? That's why I had those verses this morning in the bulletin, right? Don't grow weary in well-doing. Oh, by the way, that's another excuse, right? Well, I'm never going to know it all, so what's the point, right? 
Uh, that's the exact opposite. It was like, wow, I'm never going to know it all, so I want to get as much as I possibly can this side of glory. In other words, watch out for yourself and others and, and out in the world any category of excuse that would diminish or hinder your own delight of the pursuit of knowing God and loving Him. Watch out when you hear believers speak this way to others, to each other, about themselves. I'll give you another one. I don't like Steve Lawson's accent. Right? Or, or, or I have a hard time understanding such and so and so. Well then pay attention. Pay careful attention. Go back and listen again. Uh, study accents. Something. In other words, one of the, the goals in our lives ought to be, I want to I break down every obstacle I possibly can in my life so I know as much, I can access as much truth as I possibly can. Pick up on it. Yeah. And, and ironically, where he's from, English is the native language. So what you're hearing is not some guy struggling to speak English. It's just a different accent. Uh, I noticed the first time that we watched Pride and Prejudice, the 1995 one. You know, you guys know with Jennifer L. And who's the guy who played Darby? Have you guys watched that? You should watch that. I rarely recommend entertainment uh, <clears throat> but they use older English. And the first time I watched it, I was struggling a little bit. But now I've watched it through like, what, six times or seven times? I know exactly what they're saying. And so, you know, in other words, avail yourself of everything you can to remove any obstacle or hindrance between you and learning the Word of God. Look up the difficult words. Learn to listen to a guy for a while so you pick up his accent. Um, you know, avail yourself of good theology books. First time I picked up Jonathan Owen's The Death of Death and The Death of Christ, it took me a day to work through the first two pages. I was so blown away and confused by what the guy was writing. I picked it up several years later, and I'm reading it going, what's the problem? Not because I was some genius, but just years of reading the Puritans. So, so in other words, if it's like, man, I really struggle with reading the Puritans, then read them a lot. And the next thing you know, a few years down the road, after you've, you've put 30, 40 Puritan books under your belt, you're going you're gonna to struggle not speaking like a Puritan. <laughs> you know, so, so in other words, watch out for the excuses. Do everything you can to clear the path for yourself, your family, the church, to encourage learning and knowing and understanding the Word of God with joy and zeal, and excitement, and passion, and diligence, and discipline, and then try to get rid of, and, and, and learn to even wisely answer those many, many excuses that we're prone to do, especially in our anti-intellectual, mind-handed-over-to-depravity kind of world that we're living in. Because the Christian life, what we do and think and say and speak, it all comes out of here. I mean, I'm not saying apart from the Spirit and, and the Word. I'm saying every decision, action, function that we do comes with how we think. Well, I'll close with this. <clears throat> Don't ever tell yourself excuses in your life. Um, my encouragement to you, unless something is impossible, is if there is an obstacle to you serving the Lord in some way, to make yourself do it, if at all possible, even if it's difficult or potentially embarrassing or awkward or hard. So really get yourself, how can I learn about God? How can I serve Him? Um, we're kind of supposed to do this thing unto death. This is supposed to be sacrificial. So, so think about your life, your walk with the Lord, your prayer life, your study of the scriptures, your ministry to others, and, and let scripture define for you how to function and live, and, and don't let your excuses control you. Now, I'm not talking about legitimate excuses, like, Pastor, I just fractured my femur and it's sticking out of my leg and I need to go get it taken care of, but 
but watch out for every non-avoidable, uh, I mean, should say, uh, watch out for any excuse that is not really absolute. Work through it. Tackle that thing. Subdue that thing. Like we were saying, if you, if you have a hard time reading Conrad, listen to Conrad, Conrad M. Bayway, go listen to 30 sermons by Conrad M. Bayway. time you're done, you're never going to have a problem reading him again, uh, listening to him again. If you have a hard time reading the Puritans, start reading the Puritans. You will know the Puritan language. You will struggle with not speaking like a Puritan. You don't know a doctrine. It's challenging. Study the Bible. Get the books on that. By the time you're done, you're going to know that truth. Don't let your own flesh and discouragement and even uncertainty keep you back from the fullness. All right. I've overshot my target by 10 minutes, and I need to let you guys go. I apologize. I just I wanted to sow these seeds so that they could ripple through the congregation to a group of people that I thought would be good witnesses for them. I hope that makes sense. So let's pray. Father, you have made our mind... And our mind is truly infinitely finite in comparison to you. And yet, amazingly, it can contain glorious, divine truth. Not to the fullness of it, but truth that is staggering and glorious and mind-blowing. Because your spirit and your word and your power and your sanctifying work can so work in the mind of a redeemed believer that though we will not ever reach the ultimate, we can know so much about you. And never, we pray, as an end in itself, but always out of a desire to know you more, that we might love you more that we might be thrilled with you more, that we might delight in you more, that we might have greater peace and joy, that we might be ready to give an answer to the hope that lies within us. Drive us to studying the Word and to memorizing the Word and <clears throat> to reading good theology, to continue doing so, to help the weakness of the weaker brother that Paul mentions, who, who, who is clearly resisting the growth that could be there. Help us not browbeat them or harass them, but to pray for them and encourage them and exhort them and love on them and be examples to them that we might imitate each other in our pursuit of God. For you are the ultimate. In you is life and breath and being all favor and blessing and provision, all truth, all reality, all eternity, you are God. May you enthrall our hearts and minds, not because you need to work that up and convince us of it, but because you are. And we just need to see you for who you are. So do that work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.